Hallelujah. Well, today I want to talk to you um, and a little diff- from a diff- little different perspective, uh, I guess a little different way uh, <clears throat> this morning. How many of you ever went through things in your life and, <clears throat> and you just, you, you went through the motions and, and you knew God was God and you knew God could, you just didn't know if he would and you hear all the, the right words and makes you feel like God can do anything, and, but he just won't for you. Amen. And uh, you, you believe and you almost feel like you're being sacrilegious when you don't really believe that. But you're, 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 your mind runs one way with, oh, yeah, you're holy. And the next thing, your other part of your mind's running crazy. And uh, I want to talk to you this morning how to, how to position ourselves. I, I really titled it How to Position Yourselves to Receive, but it's, that's really not, I don't want that to be a deceiving title. It's really just how to position yourself with God. Because when you start saying position yourself to receive, people are ah, oh, that's going to be one of those messages, you know. I don't want it to be one of those. I want to give you some, some, some tools this morning to help you position yourself to be where God wants you to be. Amen. How many of you, how many of you like to be every time you'd like to be where God wants you to be? And, and when, it, when it happens, you can just receive. You can just walk in that. Amen. Uh, so I'm going to help you. So today's passage, if you want to be turning there, in Luke chapter 5. Um, Luke chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 1 and go through about verse 9 um, for the text. And, and typically when, I want us to look a little deeper uh, today than what this text really is, is um, what we primarily think about this text, uh, Luke 5, 1 through 9, is a calling, the beginning of the calling of some disciples, okay? And so, but I want to back up and I, I want to I unpeel a few things uh, because at this time, he, he, if you go on and read the rest of the passage, he does call Simon, Peter, and James, and the sons of De- Zebedee. He does call them of them. They're, they're not really disciples at that moment. So we can learn a lot. If we look beyond it, it is a calling. It is a passage of Scripture of calling. We can look to see, well, how did they get there? Because that's really what this passage of Scripture is showing you, how the, the, the disciples got to where they are before they were the disciples. Okay, and so there's some key points here I want to bring out. But today I want us to look beyond the miracle of, there's a miracle that happened in this passage of Scripture. I want us to look beyond that. There is one there, but I want us to look beyond that. I want us to look beyond the storyline because, yes, it's a story, but, but there's something more. I want us to look at it. I don't want us to look at it from the position of the disciples were called because, yes, they were called. You can, you can actually lump all of these things into this passage of Scripture. But there's something that I think we're missing that we miss a lot of times in this passage of Scripture. So I want to pull back a few layers today. And let's look at this passage of Scripture from a little different viewpoint. How to position yourself with God. Okay. Luke chapter 5, verse 1, and the passage of Scripture starts out this way. So it was as the multitudes pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake Genesaret, verse 2, and he saw two boats 
standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Now, I want you to understand, I'm going to stop and, and I'm going to give you a phrase every now and then because I've got four things I want to teach you in just a few minutes. And these phrases will help in that. Number one, he says, and he saw these two fishermen, they had gone from their boats and they were washing their nets. That is important for one of my points. Verse 3, then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to push out or put out a little bit from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Now, Jesus, these multitudes come, and he begins to teach them, and you know that water is a good amplifier. So if you uh, don't like somebody, and you see them about uh, 200 yards down the lake, and you're on the lake in your boat, don't talk about them. They might hear you. Amen? Just, that's just FYI. I won't even charge you for that this morning. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, now notice this. This is not part of what I want to make a point on, but notice this part. He says, Simon, he was very directive about what he wanted. He wasn't indecisive. He says, Simon, launch into the deep and, and basically get ready for a catch. Now, if you launch out there, let's try it one more time. Launch out there and let's just see if there's some fish that's just come back by. He says, launch out and prepare or let down your nets for a catch. Verse 5, but Simon answered, and here's where, here's, this is me. I don't know if it's any, this is me, verse, verse uh, 5. But Simon answered him, said, Master, we've already done that. How many of you ever said, Lord, I've already done that. I don't want to do that anymore. Lord, I'm tired of that. Lord, we've been doing that, and that ain't helped me. Lord, we got to do that again? Watch what he says. He says, Lord, or he says, but Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Now, this is where I wish it was me. The first part is me. Nevertheless, I can imagine his enthusiasm level wasn't very good. It's going to help me with one of my points. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Now, you've got to understand here. Simon, at this point, is just like me and you. He hadn't seen all these miracles. He, he's fixing to call him as a disciple. He hadn't been running with him. He hadn't seen all these great miracles that he's done. He didn't know. He's just like, uh, Lord, i got to pray again. I thought when you, you, you said that if I pray, then it's going to be done. I just ask and it happens. Lord, I walk through this thing and I'm trying my best and there's, nothing's happening. You mean i got to get up and do it again? You mean i got to go one more time? i got to stick up my hands one more time? Lord, I don't even feel like worshiping you today. Lord, I don't even want to be at church today. I know this is real stuff. But when you trust in Jesus, you'll do stuff that don't seem right. See, it didn't seem right. Simon was a fisherman. They had a, at least a, two or three boats. If you go and read other passages of, and other accounts in Mark, where his father, they left. Uh, they, there were some people there, that's John and James and, and, and Simon. They had a, a kind of a fleet of boats. They knew how to fish is what I'm saying 
They knew what they were doing. They knew where to put. The, they knew what the waters looked like when the fish were going to be there. They knew what it, what, when the wind would come a certain way, when the sun was out. They knew when the fish were going to be where they were fishing. That's why they were fishermen. They knew how to fish. And he had already exploited every piece of knowledge that he ever had in fishing that spot. Yet Jesus, in all his audacity, says, just push out one more time. And get ready for a catch. Peter's mind's probably, mm-hmm. He don't even know what he's talking about. He just knew what we had done all the man. I'm tired. I'm washing my nets out. I'm, I'm, ready, I'm ready to quit for the evening. I'm, I'm done. So many times, church, and I want you to hear me. So many times we quit right at the brink of your miracle or your thing that you've been asking for for years. We quit right at the middle, right at the beginning, I mean, of it happening for us. We quit because we've, in our minds, we've exploited that already. Let's go on and read. Verse 6. And here's another point I want to bring out in just a moment. And when they had done this, what did they do? They, they went out, followed his commands. They sailed out a little bit, pushed off, got in the deep, and they let down the nets. It says, and when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in, in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. You're talking about, uh, uh, that's the world's biggest fish fry. I mean, come on, think about that. We got two boats. Now, these weren't probably just your little average 16-foot John boat. These were commercial fishermen boats that they, they were capable of, of being on large bodies of water, you know. Uh, so, so these were decent-sized boats, okay. And so these boats, they had so much. They began to sink. We don't even grasp that. We just want to catch one fish. If I go fishing, I just want a little one. I just want a little fish. I just want something. I want enough to at least have a meal tonight. Amen? How many of you went fishing and didn't come back with anything? If you've been fishing and you, and you always come back with something, the altars are open. <laughs> Verse 8, And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, or <clears throat> saying, this is what Simon Peter told him, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. That's a point I want to bring up in a moment. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. Now I want to talk to you about four things to do in order to position yourself. There's four, four things we're going to take from this passage of Scripture. There's four things. If you're taking notes, I'll try to help you repeat these uh, often. Number one. Number one is prepare for what you do not see. Prepare for what you do not see. I'll go on and say this. Prepare for what your intellect says is not there, will not happen. See, that's what Peter did. See, his intellect, his knowledge of fishing said they're not there. We got empty nets. I mean, I can prove to you, Lord, that my nets are empty. I can prove to you that you're wrong because my nets are empty because I've been out there all night long. 
Lord, I can prove to you that what I've been doing is not working. Lord, my kids are still acting like heathens. My marriage is still messed up. Lord, my finances are messed up. Lord, my, my body is still not healed. My faith is not working. I still struggle. Lord, I got proof that this is really happening in my life. I have proof, Lord. Simon had proof. It's not a lie. He had proof. Empty nets. Empty nets is a proof that there's no fish where you were fishing. Come on. But yet, here in this passage of Scripture, I want you to understand, we have to prepare for what you do not yet see. Watch this. This is kind of a couple of scriptures that backs that up. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. This is one that really gets me too. In Hebrews 11 and 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. The first thing that we've got to do is understand we must see or prepare things that we do not see. That's called faith. You must prepare yourself to receive things that God knows is there, but you may not know because you're not God. You're not all-knowing. That's hard for us to do as humans, especially in 2022. When we've got technology and the world at our fingertips or a speaking of our voice, you can speak text to people. Now, it may not say what you said, but you can speak text. It won't be long if the Lord tarries. You'll be able to just put your head up to this thing, and it'll just read your mind, and it'll say something. Watch that, too, because you may get information to somebody that you didn't want them to know that you thought about them. The rest of verse 6 says this, For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Church, I'm here to tell you there's, there's some application in this passage of Scripture. You cannot, you, you will not be able to prepare yourself for what God has for you if you don't diligently seek him. The only thing the Bible says that about to, to someone who doesn't seek him and that he'll do is he'll draw you to him. But if you want to get into a position with God where you're going to walk in whatever it is you need to be walking in, whether it's healing or finances, you have got to diligently seek him. And you can't do that if you already know because that replaces faith. If you, how, how many of you know, if you already know it, you don't have to believe for it. It's there. If you have knowledge, it's there. So we've got to position ourselves. We have got to believe that would prepare ourselves. When God says, whatever it is you're praying for, then you've got to start believing for that. Amen? So you've got to, number one, you've got to prepare for what you do not see. What were they doing? They were washing their nets. You know what they were doing? They didn't catch anything last night. But they're washing their nets and they're cleaning them. Because they're going to go out tomorrow night. Do it one more time is what I'm saying. I was raised on a fish farm. And I hated washing nets. Nasty. Stinks. And you would, your job, we had one guy on one side and one on the other. When that thing was reeled in, you were shaking it, getting all the mud and stuff off. So it would 
clean it so it wouldn't rot as quick. And all the time you watch, you were also looking for something else. Holes in your net. Because if there's a hole in the net this size, you would be surprised how many fish can get out of that. And you would shake that and you were watching the whole time. And if, you'd saw, if you saw a hole in the net, you'd say, hey, hold on, hold on. The guy up here, he's running the reel. Got the easy job. You say, oh, stop. There's a hole. And you'd gather that net up on the bank and you would take your, your, your string and you would mend that hole. You know why we mended the hole? So we could catch what we were after tomorrow. I think sometimes we need to start looking at our lives and washing out our lives, our nets, if you will, and looking to see, are there holes in my spiritual walk? Are there holes in my spiritual life that I need to mend? And prepare for what God wants you to do, but because there's a hole there, you can't catch what he's wanting you to catch. Think about it. Think about it. Number two. Uh, guys, if you'll get ready, I'm about ready to play the video. Be obedient to God's word. Verse 5. Let's look at that again. Verse 5. It says, But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, not at my intellect, not at what I know, not what I have experienced, not what I feel, but at your word. At your word, I will let down the net. In other words, at your word, at your command, at what your word says, I'll do it one more time. I don't know about you, but in, in uh, Rusty, Rusty and farming... We do a lot of the same stuff over and over and over, don't we? And you know, if we do it over, we, we get used to saying, well, you're just going to do it this way. But then there's something that happens that throws it all off kilter and we learn a new way to do something. But we're still doing the same thing. We're still farming, but there's a new way. There's something that we missed that if we just change one thing, changes everything. All you really have to do, Rusty, is just change one sprocket on a planter, ain't it? It'll it just put a, it just messes the whole system up, either for good or bad. Just, just one little old cog. Might want to start looking at our nets, and we might want to start seeing, what is this thing that's keeping me from nevertheless, Lord, at your word? Lord, I know we've always done it, so it's always, it's always worked. We always got the same result, but Lord, I need something different. We'll do it one more time. Do it one more time. Raise your hands one more time. Worship him one more time. Call out to him one more time at night. Pray to him one more time. Ask him one more time. Don't stop asking him one more time. I believe that is key. When we get down to the, the point, I believe the enemy comes out and says, you've already asked, why are you asking again? Why are you going to keep doing that? You've already done it. He didn't, he didn't do what he said. Is he really God? And if you've been a Christian very long and you've walked through very much, you've had some similar thoughts to that. Why is God allowing this to happen to me? Why did this happen? Well, God doesn't always allow everything to happen. Something just stupid decisions. 
you know. Why did the Lord allow me to get a speeding ticket? Because you're speeding. Bryson was sitting down there, had his radar on. You were speeding. He caught you. That's not a God thing. That's a left foot thing. I mean, a right foot thing. Lead foot. We'll call it lead foot, right? It's not a God thing. Amen. So you got to be obedient to God's word. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, the Bible says that, that it is better to obey than to have a sacrifice. Sometimes you, you need to be obedient. You need to hear what God's saying. We, we got this idea in our mind that if we go do this, then we're going to trick God into performing for us. That we're gonna, If we do enough serving, if we do enough of this, we do enough, then we've got favor with God and he's just going to make this happen. No, sometimes it's nothing. It's not about what you do. Sometimes it is that you just simply say, Lord, nevertheless, at your word, that's what I'm going to believe. Book uh, in Mark, I think it's uh, the, the 11th chapter or the 9th chapter. It says, when you pray, believe. Not when you see. When you pray exercises your, and believe exercises your faith because you have not seen what you're praying for. Be obedient to God's word. And number three, I'm going to be with you guys. I haven't forgot you. You must respond to God's word. So remember, we pre- they prepared. We need to prepare for what we do not see. They were washing their nets for another harvest. See, while they were on the side, they didn't catch anything. They were still getting ready. They didn't know he was fixing to tell them to go out. They were getting ready. They were preparing their nets. They were mending their nets. They were getting ready. Then they were obedient. He said, well, nevertheless, since we got our nets washed, why don't we go on out there? We already got this done. We're ready. See, the problem is a lot of times we don't want to be ready. We just want, we don't want to drop in a situation dropped into us, and we just want God to perform it. No, there's something you did. You need to start preparing in advance. Woo. Thirdly, respond to God's word. It's one thing to know God's word. It's one thing to to be able to quote God's word. It's another thing to respond to God's word. Respond. My daddy used to tell me, son, I know you're listening, but are you hearing me? He wanted a response. He wanted me to acknowledge that he was telling me some instructions. And do you hear me? I need a response that you understand what I'm telling you. He told me to go take out the garbage. Guess what? I never once in my life ever told my daddy. I get around to it. That was not the proper response. The proper response was yes, sir. Or got it. Hopefully if you were on top of your game and you were prepared, you already had it taken out. He didn't have to ask me. He had to ask me a lot of things. So I'm just saying, Okay. But we must respond to God's word in verse 6. Verse 6 says this, And when they had done this, done what? Cast out from the bank and let down their nets. See, it wasn't about a miracle in this. It was about them doing something and being obedient. They had to obey what the command was. If they had said, I'm not going to do it. The rest of the story, those next few verses would have just been blank. Come on. Because there was no response to God's word. 
So how do we get past all of these things in our life? We must respond. Well, how do you get, how do you get your wife to like you more? And how do you get your relationship to, to, to be better? We got to do things you don't want to. You got to respond to God's word, men. He says, you got to love your wife like God loves the church. Uh-oh. We got a problem, Lord. You don't know my wife. He says, I'm not worried about your wife. I'm worried about you not being like me. You see, see the response? We always want someone else to change. We want another circumstance so we can get where we want to. And God says, you got to be obedient to my, you got to respond to my word. You got to love your enemies. Pray for those that despitefully use you. Come on. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to go ahead and go to point four, and then we'll go to the video, okay? Number four, it we found in verse, um, verse eight. So number one, we have prepare for what you do not see. Number two, be obedient to God's word. Number three, respond to God's word. And number four, you must be humble. You know, the Bible speaks of the fall coming right before your pride. Do you know that pride is opposite of humility? And verse 8 says this. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down on Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Simon recognized his position with the master. When he saw this great catch, he understood really who he was. Now remember, as I said earlier, he hadn't been with him on all these miracle trips. He, didn't, he wasn't at them with the miracle healing services. He's getting to know Jesus right here. And he falls at his feet and said, I just realized who I was. Lord, I thought I was somebody. I thought I knew all about fishing. And Lord, the great fisherman shows up. And boy, did you teach me something. And there was humility that comes. See, you don't know everything. And just because you've already done it one time does not mean that God cannot supernaturally change a circumstance. I've seen God change circumstances supernaturally. And I've prayed for God to change things supernaturally and it never happened. Ooh, that throws a kink in all of our theology, especially in the charismatic Pentecostal circles. It just throws a kink in it right there. What? That does not change the fact that he still can. We're talking about the God who spoke everything into existence from nothing. He said everything that was made was made from something that did not exist. We're talking about that God that has to watch what he says, what he says. Because if he says, I think he had to, as one preacher said, I think he had to be specific when he called Lazarus out of the grave. Because if not, everybody got up out of the grave. Think about it. His words are powerful. And we take them so lightly. Matter of fact, we we don't even know them, most of the words here. We don't even understand the Bible a lot of times. We like to hear the high stories and and, and get the woo-hoos and the yahoos and get our chill bumps and glory to God, and that's great. But when you're going through hell, there are no chill bumps. It's frustration. 
When you're, when you're fighting for the last breath that you have, it's frustrating. When you're wanting something so bad to happen, and you know God can because you've seen it in others. You've heard the reports. Yet nothing's happening in your life. When you know the scriptures about how to fight fear, how to fight depression, how to get over addictions, you know all the verses, and yet you quote them and they don't work. You're scared. And then you're in the middle of this thing called life. And you're wondering, how am I going to get through this? How will I pull through this situation? Got a video. Cue the, cue the video up. And I want you to listen to it. It says it better than I ever could. I was in Alaska doing a lawsuit. We're way out in the Aleutian Islands, getting ready to leave and go back to Anchorage and then home. And I had a ticket in my pocket to get on an airplane. And a pastor came up and he said, listen, I can save you money. I said, how's that? He said, I flew a small airplane up here and I fly a small airplane and I can take you in my little airplane and you can save your ticket. And this did not sound, I said, gee, thank you so very, very much. But I've got this ticket. We'll just make our way on home, me and this other lawyer with me. He said, no, 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 you got to do it. you got to do it. And against every better judgment I had, I said, okay. Well, we went out to the airport, took us by his little plane, and I looked at it. And I thought, well, one good thing, it's shiny. Then he walked around it. We got in. He's on the left front. I'm on the right front. The other lawyer's sitting right behind me. And he started it up, and it started up just fine. Well, we taxied out. I said, should we pray? He said, yeah, that's a good idea. We normally don't. I said, well, this time we're going <laughs> to. And I'm telling you, I prayed five, eight minutes. I prayed a long time. We went and got on the runway. He starts down the runway. The plane lifted off ever so gently, and we start climbing. And it's wonderful. Not a problem in the world. We started climbing, and we flew probably three, four minutes. And something happened that will never leave my mind. The pilot turned to me and he said, we're going in the clouds and I can't fly in clouds. They make me pass out. I said, clouds make you do what? <laughs> now it's been cloudy all day. And we go right up into the clouds and you can't see anything. And he looks at me and his eyes roll back in his head. And he starts mumbling and he passes out, passed out cold. Now I grabbed him and I shook him and I said, come on, you gotta wake up so I can kill you. Now we're in the clouds flying along with no pilot. And my friend in the back seat said, we're dead, aren't we? I said, there's a very good chance of that, yes. He said, what are we gonna do? I said, I don't know. But there was a radio right there and I handed him the microphone and I said, start asking for help. So he's in the back seat reaching up and he said, hello, hello. We didn't know any proper radio etiquette. All we were saying was hello. And somebody answered back, hello, hello. Don't you guys know proper radio etiquette? And I said, give it to me. I said, Tell them, we don't know nothing. Tell them we're in an airplane with a passed out pilot and we don't know how to fly this plane. The guy said, I'm a freighter flying out of Anchorage on the way to Tokyo. And he said, you're telling me you have nobody who can fly that plane with you? I said, tell them that's correct. Now you gotta understand, I am sweating bullets. He said, the first thing I'm gonna do is start circling so I don't lose you because I'll fly out of range of your radio and you won't have me anymore. 
And he said, I'm going to get Anchorage Emergency for you. And Anchorage Emergency will be the people that can maybe help you try to save your life. After about five minutes, Anchorage came on, said, we understand you have a passed out pilot. And those of you do not know how to fly that plane. We said, that's right. They said, well, the first thing we got to do is find you. And I'll never forget what this man at Anchorage said. He said, my job is to get you home safe. He said, that's my job. But he said, here's the deal. If you want me to get you home safe, you got to promise me you'll obey my voice. He said, you can't see me, but I can see you. And he said, if you're not going to obey my voice, you're going to die. When you can't see anything, you have no idea how disorientated you become. Finally, he said, okay, I found you. Now hear me clear. He said, you're four minutes from a mountain. He said, you're going to crash in that mountain and die. Follow my voice. I never said, I have to follow your voice. Is that reasonable? You see, I understood without his voice, I had nothing. And do you understand, without God's voice, you have nothing. Nothing. Finally, he got us turned. And he said, I'm freezing all the traffic in the area. He said, it's going to take me an hour and a half to get you to Anchorage. And there's a lot of weather between you and Anchorage. You're in for a rough ride. And he said, I want you to hear me. I don't want you to look at what's going on outside. I don't want you to pay attention to the storm, just my voice. He said, if you start watching the storm, you will die, but I'll take you through it. Now, because they cleared all the traffic, several pilots, those nighttime freighters, those 747s started talking to us. They said, we're praying for you, men. You're gonna make it. But listen to the voice that's the key they said trust the voice you realize your head is full of voices and everybody in this world wants to talk to you and everybody wants to be the controlling voice and God says I want you to be a living sacrifice I want you to put yourself on the altar and let my voice be your voice finally we went through the worst of the weather but there was still more and then the voice came back and it said now I'm gonna line you up. He said, I'm gonna bring you in right down the runway. And at the foot of the runway are some lights and they're in the form of a cross. He said, don't you forget this. The cross is the way home. Finally, he's bringing us down. We still can't see anything. And all he kept saying is, stay with me. My sheep, the Bible says, hear my voice and they follow me. Finally, just a couple hundred feet off the ground, we saw the cross. I landed the plane. In fact, I landed it seven times. Finally, it all came to a stop, and the minute we stopped, the pilot woke up. The voice said, thanks for listening. I watch them crash and burn all the time because they won't follow my voice. They don't understand I'm the one who can see them even when they can't see me but they get the voices in their head and they kill themselves. They self-destruct. Thanks for listening to the voice. Then they put us in a motel room at about four in the morning, the knock at my door. And I opened the door and a man was standing there. He said, hello, David. I said, you're the voice. You're the one who got me home. He said, I am. 
you understand one day you're going to stand before him and say, you were the voice. You're the voice that brought me home. If you're not on that altar as a living sacrifice, your head's full of voices. And then we wonder why kids crash and burn. We wonder why marriages are shattered. And the Lord's saying, I'm the one who has the voice. All I can remember is that voice saying, stay with me. Stay with me. Don't listen to what's going on in your head and don't watch the storm. Stay with me. And I'll take you through. Tonight you have a God who has promised to take you through. A living sacrifice, holy. Amen. That speak to you? It spoke to me. I think maybe it spoke to me because I was an airline pilot, airplane pilot once. And I remember that very situation where I got disoriented. Where I was supposed to be, I wasn't. My first ever cross-country solo flight. And what I thought to be the place where I was going to be landing wasn't anywhere near that. And I remember coming on, getting on the radio and calling out my call sign and calling to the Fayetteville, Arkansas airport. called out my call number of my airplane and I said this statement I didn't, let me just tell you I didn't, I didn't speak my name I didn't have to tell about my credentials two words spoke my credentials two words spoke my credentials I said I am a student pilot when I spoke those words There was so much traffic on that radio. They shut down the surrounding airports, airstrips. Nobody, they said, start circling. They was calling out stuff. I didn't even know what they were calling. The voice came back on, just like this voice. It came back on and he said, you do exactly what I say and when I say it, you'll land this plane. No arguments from me. I didn't have any choice. Some of you in this room, you're in a place where you don't have a choice. Why are you trying to listen to another voice? He called out my call number. He gave me the coordinates and said, I want you to take up this heading. And when I got there, I I took up that heading. He said, you're going to go, and when I tell you again, you'll take up another heading. You're going to do what we call a base run. And said, you're going to line up for your final approach. He began to give me the coordinates. When I'd get there, I would do exactly what he said. And I was pretty good till then because I'm still flying. 
but my nerves, and I had landed planes probably a hundred times with an instructor by me. But now there was no instructor. Now it's by myself. Now it feels like you and your life when you're by yourself and you wonder where God is. Why, is it, why did the instructor let me go? He knew I wasn't ready. Now look at this. I'm going to die in a place I, I don't even know where I'm going to die. He gave me the final coordinates and I lined up. He said, called out my call number. Didn't know my name. I didn't know him from Adam, but I loved him. I was so thankful for him. I'm telling you, I was thankful that he paid attention in his uh, aviation class, in his air traffic control class. I was so thankful that he was number one in his class. Because when I lined up, he said, now you're going to come in. You're going to land this plane. Of course, he knew I knew how to land the plane. But he said, you're going to land this plane. And when you, when you land this plane, when you touch down on this, on this runway, he said, I want you to take an immediate right to the taxiway. Do you copy? Gave my call number and said, copy. I came in and I landed that plane flawlessly. There was one small mistake though. See, I thought when I was on the ground, everything was okay. So I landed the plane, and as soon as that first wheel touched, he came back on the radio, gave my call number, and said, take an immediate right on the taxiway. I thought, man, that's going to be a tough turn because it's right there. And I rolled right past that taxiway. And all of a sudden, this voice came back on the radio and he said, called out my call number, and said, I said, take an immediate right on the taxiway. I called back copy. When I got to the next one, I'd done exactly what he said. And when I did that, little did I know that there was one jet, big jet, had communication problems and he didn't get the memo that I was a student pilot. And he was landing his plane. And when I, when I turned right, the wing of that plane came over the top of my aircraft. I got nervous then. I rolled into where we could Stationed the airplane, I got out, and I didn't think I was going to make it in to the bathroom to throw up. My knees were, I was sweaty. I felt like I was fixing to pass out. It was all the emotions you've ever had in your life combined in one moment at one time. I walked in and someone said, would you like a Coke? I'd like to throw up first. I did go throw up. I came back and I got a Coke. And I was calming down. And then I realized I've got to get back in that plane. And I've got to take off in that plane. And in a couple of hours, I've got to land that plane somewhere else. Is this going to happen to me again? 
What do I do? You know what I did? I got back in that plane and I began to remember everything my instructor ever taught me about flying by map. I wasn't instrument rated at the time. And I remember everything and I charted out my course perfectly. I memorized everything I was supposed to be looking at from, the, from an aerial view. I got in that plane and I started toward home. When I got home, got to the airport, I landed my little aircraft, little Cessna 152. When I had got there, the news had already arrived back to my flight school that I might need a little bit more training. But much like this pilot, I listened to the right voice. So I want to bring out a couple things real quick and we'll close. In this video, there'll be a few things that I want you to pick up on. And it's the same thing. If you listen to it, it's so much like the Bible. And you're going through a situation that if God doesn't intervene, you don't know what's going to happen. You're in a place in your life where, where it is turmoil. It is like upside down and, and up is right and, and right is down. And all those things, it's just a mess. You're confused and you're scared and you're, you get, you're fearful about things. This is what the Word of God says, though. He says, I'll never leave you. In your darkest time, and your most depressed time, He says, I'll never leave you. You've got to listen to the voice. It's in the Bible. He says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And I like this one most of all. I'm going to get you home. I'm going to get you home. Praise the Lord. If all else fails, I'm going home. I knew when I got in that airplane and left Fayetteville, Arkansas, I was going home. One way or the other, I was going home, Tyler. I was going home. What I want you to get in this is follow his voice. Follow his voice. What is his voice? His voice is the word of God. You may not always hear an audible voice. I've never heard an audible voice. I just know it in my spirit. But his word, his, this Bible that you read, it is his voice. It is for you. It is for today. It is relevant today. It is relevant for everything you go through. You got to hear his voice. You got to hear his voice. Don't listen to anything else but his voice. You don't need a psychic. You don't need somebody to read your palms. You don't need your best friend that doesn't go to church to tell you how to get through a situation. You don't need him. You need to hear his voice. You don't need to listen to anything but his voice. And this is the hard one. You got to trust his voice. You got to trust his voice. See, that guy had never landed an airplane as he said. 
See, there was so much going on that you didn't even know about in that. Somebody else was on that, on that radio too. One guy gave a coordinates to go to. But there was another guy, I guarantee it, speaking into the other ear, saying that this is what I want you to do. I want you to look at your altimeter. That's how high you are. I want to look at your airspeed. What are your flaps? Where are they at? What position? This is how fast you're going to come in. You're going to see that. And if you're not familiar with the plane, there's a million gadgets in this, in this cockpit. If you don't know what they are, they're just a bunch of stuff. And they'll get you confused. But somebody was telling him, I want you to watch this. Now watch this. Now look, put your feet on these pedals. And when you, now look, there's a yoke in front of you. And you're going to have to do certain things. But when we get solo, you've got to listen to me. Because if you don't, you're going to crash this plane. We got people speaking into one ear that you allow to speak into you that shouldn't be speaking into your life. You, you may be going through a, a depression time. You may be going through fear. And the people you're talking to are the people that are fearful. They can't help you land. You've got to talk to somebody that may have been there, but's through that now. He says, if you're just trusting the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Trust His voice. Trust His voice. Trust His voice. In the middle of the night when you're, when you're dealing with your sickness, trust His voice that He is the healer. Trust His voice. Trust Him. When your marriage is on shambles, trust His voice. Trust His voice. Everything may not turn out the way you want it to, but if you trust His voice, it will turn out for the good. Come on. Trust His voice. Trust Him. I love what he said at the end. The cross is the way home. The cross is the way home. Yet he slay me, I'll still serve him. Yet he slay me, I'll still worship him. No matter what comes down the pipe, if you'll trust him, if you'll just still listen to his voice, if you know that the cross is the way home. The cross is the way home. You may not like the end result here, but you're going to love the end result there. The cross is the way home. If you don't know Him today, you need to know Him as your Savior because it's by the cross, it's through the cross, it's by the blood of Jesus that you'll get home. Otherwise, you cannot make it. The only fate you have is in eternity in hell. If you don't know Him and you don't go by the cross. So I close with this. I challenge you if you don't know him. Get to know his voice. Get to know his voice. You must hear his voice when things are good. And you must hear his voice when things are bad. When things don't look right, you must get to know his voice. You must know his voice without a shadow of a doubt. You must know that it is his voice. My children call out to me. If they call out to me in the middle of the night, man, I know their voice. There's no, there's no mistake. That's my son. That's my daughter. That's my grandchild. I know their voice. Why? Because I spend time with them. Does he know your voice is my question. Do you know his voice? When he speaks to you, do you run to him? 
Do you keep the faith and when it doesn't seem like faith is the right thing? When you want to do your own judgment, when you want to follow that because of life has dealt you and you think you can handle situations, but do you trust, do you know His voice? Do you know His voice? Church, there's coming a time, and I believe that it's not too far off from now, that the church is going to need to know the voice of God to navigate through daily life. I believe persecution is coming. I believe that things are going to happen that you're not ready for. If you don't know His voice, you must know His voice. What does the Scripture say? My sheep know my voice. When the shepherds would bring in the sheep, they stayed close to the city. They'd bring them in and they had a, a fence. They'd put them corral. They'd put the, all the sheep would go in. Your sheep, your sheep, my sheep, everybody's sheep would go in the same one. And they'd say, well, how do they keep them separate? Because the shepherd always spent time with the sheep, Jason. Always spent time with the sheep. They were interacting all day. When the shepherd got ready to leave the next morning to go find green pasture, he would just start speaking. And his sheep would begin to separate from the other sheep and follow him. Why? Because they knew his voice. Because in his voice, they found green pasture. In his voice, they found, they found fresh water. In his voice, guess, they found shelter. They knew that in his voice, they were going to be okay. Because they had seen so much and they had been with him through so much. He had attacked. When the wolves would attack, he would ward them off. When the lions and the bears, he would ward those off because, and they trusted the voice. Do you trust the voice? Do you trust his voice is the question you need to ask yourself. Do you trust his voice? Do you know it? Will you stand with me across this building? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, Father,